Hi, everybody. Welcome to CISO Talk. This is our bi-weekly series on cybersecurity, talking with senior executives on very topical conversations. I'm Mitch Ashley. I am CTO with TechStrong Group and also uh, principal with TechStrong Research. I'm joined today by my favorite friend and cohort, cohort, co-host. There we go. Get the right word there. <laughs> Matt Newfield. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's good to see you again, Mitch. Great to see you. Great. Good. You know, so many great topics. I wish we could record like one of these a day. There are there are so many things to discuss. So before we get to it, and Matt, I'll let you introduce yourself too. Let's have our our great panel. Uh, we have a returning uh, list of panels. I feel like, you know, this is the A team we're fielding on the floor here today. So uh, Larry Whiteside, would you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Uh, Larry Whiteside Jr. I'm a veteran or recovering CISO, depending on how you want to say it. Um, <laughs> I am also the president of an organization called Cyversity, uh, geared at increasing diversity through a scholarship opportunity. Um, so I've been in this field for 29 years, so there's nothing I haven't seen and or discussed at this point. A lot. Yeah, which makes you a great panelist. Thanks for being on again. Uh, Karen Moore, introduce yourself, please. Thanks, Mitch. Karen Moore, I'm the Chief Compliance and Privacy Officer at Unisys, uh, and I have um, been in this field for a short time and a long time because some of the issues are, are old issues and a lot of the technology and, and issues are new issues. So looking forward to the conversation. Time, time goes fast, but the days are long, right? <laughs> <laughs> they are. Okay, Michelle Beisel. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I'm Michelle Beistel. I'm the Chief Ethics, Compliance, and Privacy Officer at the Nature Conservancy. And I spent 10 years at Unisys uh, working in information security and IT and compliance there as well. Excellent. You know, we've got a great conversation, Matt. I'd like you to introduce yourself because you have a unique, unique role at Unisys. Um, we're talking about biometrics and cybersecurity and some of the, not just security implications, but just the business, ethical policy. You know, we live in a world where we all look at our phones and, you know, put our face in front of it and we're okay with it, but we're not okay with our employers keeping our stuff or, or other services. So, well, introduce yourself, Matt, and then I'll let you kick off the topic and we'll go from there. Absolutely. So Matthew Newfield, I'm the Chief Security and Infrastructure Officer at Unisys. And why that's so weird is I am both the CISO and the CIO, because as everybody knows, neither one of those are really full-time roles. Um, and, you know, as they like to say, I I'm not sure what you're doing when the sun goes down, but you'll you'll figure it out. So, and, and that's the topic today that Mitch, you just talked about, you know, biometrics have really come into play over the past few years. You know, it's, it's become a social issue. It's become a government issue. Um, it's become an ethics issue and it's become a corporate issue, you know, as a CIO, as a CISO personally, biometrics can do so much for us in helping to secure our infrastructure, help to secure, uh, secure assets that the corporation has and help us be able to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are who you are. And yet we, and I'm talking the larger we in community, run into a lot of problems with the implementation of biometrics. And what we're really gonna talk about today with the panel here with, you know, think about it, chief privacy officers, chief ethics officers, recovering CISOs uh, and presidents is why are we where we are and what can companies do to really help further the biometric cause within their organization without breaching someone's privacy, without 
potentially causing an ethical problem within the corporation. And I'll start off with a thought and then we'll open it up. You know, Mitch, you said it best. Everybody's got a phone. Not everybody, but most people are using a modern phone today. And I find it very interesting as I travel, as I talk to people that they have no issue using your thumbprint or using your face to authenticate to that device. And there's a lot of misunderstanding of what is actually happening there. But those same individuals generally will have problems, for example, having biometrics be utilized by the government, walking down the street, for example, or as an authentication mechanism for your company. And really what we're going to do today with this panel is talk about why. Why are we where we are? So I'll open it up without pointing at any particular panelist, but love to start this dialogue. And you know, for those that have not done one of these, um, as you're watching us, we, we did a dry run a week ago on this, just having a conversation. And it was supposed to, I think, be five minutes and a half an hour into it, we're like, stop, 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 stop. Let's <laughs> just recorded it. We'd be done. <laughs> We'd be done already. So I'll open the floor up. I'd like to jump in there because I've been giving um, you know so much thought to to this after our last conversation, and I think a lot of this is coming down to a trifecta of of choice, trust, and consent, right? So mm -hmm. if I if I choose to do this and I throw my biometrics voluntarily out there all the time, practically without thinking about it. You know, I'm the one drafting privacy notices and I never read other people's privacy notices to find out what they're doing with the data. So, you know, I, I, I toss it out there because it's my choice. Um, I think I'm consenting. I think I know what I'm consenting. And I think that I trust the recipient um, of my data. Once that's imposed upon me by governments or by corporations, all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I don't know. I don't have a choice here. I'm not sure. I trust you. I'm not sure um, I agree to this. And, and so many examples are out there of people taking our biometrics, right? You know, you walk into an airport security situation and your photo's being snapped. You don't even know it. You, you try to enter the country um, and your, your passport's got a biometric data on it and you're sticking your face in front of the global entry screen and you're sticking your fingers on a fingerprint pad. That's being taken from you without your consent. So I, I think for me, that's that kind of trifecta of where the, the differential is between I'm happy to give you my biometrics and I don't want to give you my biometrics. It's I'll very interesting. So I, I love that triangle, right? Because one of the places that people don't think about biometrics is in these voice devices everybody has in their home now, right? So I've got Alexa, I've got Google Home, I've got all of it, right? And, and you set it to learn your voice, right? So it knows who's talking to it. That's a component of biometrics, right? That you're, you're sort of teaching it to learn the optics of your vocal cords, right? And that whole piece of trust, choice, and consent is really where the struggle comes in. Everybody is looking at it and because when it gets to corporations and big government, nobody trusts them. Nobody trusts them, right? And to your point, we don't read the things, but when we go out and we're doing it because we want to do it, right? We're going out to this side or that side and it's asking us certain information because it's something we want we do it, right? But when you go to the airport, when you go, right, you go to check in, you you have to do it. So I, I that try, I had to write it down because I think I'm going to write something about this because it's actually thinking through and it's and it's very, you know, in our industry, we are all about use cases, 
right? Mm-hmm. And so in the in the the private world, right, from an individual standpoint, people don't think in use case terms. We, you know, we don't walk around thinking of use case terms. But in in this instance, if you think about biometrics, based on the use case, each individual is making a decision, mm-hmm. and most of those use cases where it involves them not having a choice, they automatically are like, ah, I'm out, right? But when they are basically making the choice and are given given the choice themselves to to do it because it's something they want, they freely give it without thinking about the consequences, without thinking about any aspect of what's going to happen with it. Yeah. And I, I'll add another C. I think it's the the perception of control because you think you're making a choice you think you have control. You know, I have the control to go unplug my Alexa at any moment. I have the control to take this phone and throw it out the window and never use it again. But I need a paycheck. I need a career. I want to, I have to pay my mortgage. I want to send my kids to college. I, I'm, I'm leery where I don't feel like I have the control to not give my information. So choice, I think choice and control are, are compacted together. And I think trust is, is the key. I absolutely agree. I think it's it's trust. And the other piece of that is transparency. You know, how do you get to trust? And I think in this area of biometrics, voice, you know, any kind of biometrics, it is that transparency and making people understand what what does it actually mean when you grab my face image? Um, you know, you're not getting my whole face, actually. And I, I think people don't know that. And then I think the other piece is transparency in and what we all have to acknowledge is there is the inherent bias that is built into so many of these biometric authentication tools. And how do you handle that as a corporation? You know, we see government struggling with that right now. But in the workforce, again, where my livelihood now might you know, be in jeopardy um, because of you know, a biometric use, I want to make sure that I understand and that I have some control to the extent I can. I feel I like we just a- did a full house. We laid the cards out there and there's a lot of directions we can go. So one of the things I want to ask about, because I want, I want to get a whole bunch of this, is this idea of trust. Because in many ways, we treat biometrics like we do just for the rest of our personal data. It isn't that we trust. We just sort of go like this and move on, right? I don't, I'm not going to worry about what Facebook does until I do. I'm not going to worry about what Apple does until I do. Now, my employer, I might like, okay, wait a minute. But some of that trust isn't trust given. It's just sort of we choose not to decide. We choose not to make a choice, even if we did have a choice. Agree? Disagree? So I agree, but I want to throw something out because I I agree holistically with what everybody is saying. And I I love Karen's triangle, and I'm going to steal that as well. But I will give credit. I like the triangle. But a lot of this is... There you go. Mic drop. She she sort of opened it up and went, I'm out. I'm going to go on mute and good luck, everybody. But it's also about the perception of ease, right? People do things because they think it's going to make their lives better. You know, you have all these devices, Larry, you talk about that, that do biometrics with my voice, right? They're all over people's homes. People really don't know or really pay attention or really give consent, but they like it because it makes their lives easier. You're willing to to do constant facial recognition or put your thumbprint more than anything in history required you to do. And then you were willing to do it with all your fingers because it was 
easier. It made your life easier. And that concept of ease and choice, I love. And every one of you on the panel really hit something uh, hardcore for me, which is if you work for an organization that does not give you a choice when it comes to biometrics, you're going to get a lot of pushback. So let me pose the question that, you know, as we continue this, what if it was just an option? If you want to use typical multi-factor a token, if you want to use an app that's, you know, on your phone, or you can use biometrics, is that something that could potentially help people inside of companies, you know, realize that, okay, I, I now have a choice. I can quickly look at my camera and I, I, I really want to get into some of the, the issues with facial recognition uh, that we discussed last week and that we've been in discussions for a long time or thumbprints or maybe you're using vocal recognition or UBA style stuff on how you type. Um, or you can use an app, which ever is easier for you and doesn't impact, Michelle, as you say, your paycheck. So, so I think choice is always a good thing, right? Right. But, you know, as corporations, you've got that balance between choice and the friction that it creates to implement said choice on the back end, right? And so that's why we tend to always lean in a singular direction, because what happens on the back end that IT and security has to deal with to enable choice becomes very problematic. And then don't even talk about supporting choice. Right. And so we tend to go into a singular uh, uh, into a singular path. It, it's interesting, though, you led me down the thought of giving options. Right. So sort of going to the corporation, corporate employees of a vote. Right. Of giving some sort of voting system to say, hey, we're looking at these different mechanisms to enable this type of functionality for ease of use for you as employees. Which one? What, what say you? And people, and you vote, and, you know, this one gets 40%, the other two get 30%. Oh, we're going with the one that's 40%, right? The, the employees have spoken now. Does that, or, I think Larry, I got to be honest with you. Let's, let's, let's poke at that for a second. Or you, you don't give a vote. You give choices at any point in time. You can make a change. When that multi-factor comes up, you have pick one. Yeah, it's just on your screen. One. Just, the, just choose like one. Okay. The, the voting idea, Larry, made me think that you have never worked with a German Works Council before. Um, <laughs> so vo voting sometimes <laughs> creates more problems than it's worth. But I, I Larry, use the word friction. And one of the things that I really like when I've been reading into biometrics is the is the word frictionless. Right. right. Like so, people mm -hmm. start to consent when things become easier for them. Right. So I like. Like Matt's idea, not so much of a choice, like you can do this or not do this, but hey, for your convenience, we're going to add this on so that you can get from one thing to another. It's a frictionless experience. You can still do it the old fashioned way. And I bet you that the attrition rate starts to right. climb sky high. I mean, from a behavioral perspective, that's that whole same thing that we are so quick to give up things for our own convenience. Mm -hmm. um, so I love framing it that way, positioning it that way of like, we're going to make your lives better. Let's do this so that you don't have to type in that long, long password Matt, that I know you're thinking of introducing, um, <laughs> you know, where I, 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 you know, put in one typo and I have to start all yeah. over again. So I, yeah. I'd give that up in a, in a heartbeat. I think what both what I'm taking away as I'm listening to, to both of you, the voting idea and Karen, your, your ideas. It's buy-in, you know, give, this is, this goes back to me going back to transparency and trust. If you bring your employees along, 
bring them along on your journey. Explain right. how this helps them. Explain the ease of use. Explain the frictionless. Um, either way, like I kind of like the voting concept. I think that's interesting. I agree. You know, it could backfire, but you know, it's it's if you give right. them real choices that you'd be comfortable no matter which one, you'd probably be okay. But right. I think, um, but I think it's all buy-in. It's bringing them. You know, treat your employees like the adults they are. Tell them, you know, tell them why. Tell them how it's going to help them. And it it is kind of you know, that um, you have to trust them that, you know, they're going to accept the information you're providing at face value at what you're, or, what or, you're doing or give them the background. Or create the situation where they're yeah. pulling it and demanding it. Matt, why can't I just use my face? Why do I have to Ooh. keep logging in so and getting phone a, numbers and say, things? I want to give a quick example of that choice. I remember getting a new computer system at Unisys when, when the, I don't even remember what kind of computer it was, whatever it was. Facial recognition was the first time we were offering the ability to sign into the Unisys system with your face. And the IT person who was giving me a very nice, you know, like white glove treatment to help me set it up, he's doing all this. And I'm like, well, what's that little thing for? He goes, well, that's thumbprint or finger, or you could do that. It also has facial recognition, but you probably don't want to do that. I'm like, no, I want to do that. And I'm the privacy officer. I'm like, no, I want to do that. I want to know how it works. I want to, and, and I'm like, besides what's easier than just showing my face to get into the system in the morning, instead of remembering my long password, which I always, you know, had problems with. And so I, you know, I do think choice, like I, I did ask him, I do remember asking a little, you know, a couple questions like, well, what exactly is captured? And, um, but Given the choice, I was like, I will take that because I'm not going to lose my face. I'll right. lose the password. But see, and that's the thing. I, I think it all comes down to that, right? And so I like your term, Michelle, of getting that buy-in because that's really what it's about. It's getting mm -hmm. end users to understand this is easier for you, right? And and most of them, I don't know anybody who doesn't want their life to be easier <laughs> in, in any shape, form, or fashion. Everybody, if they're given the choice of their life to be harder or life to be easier, they're going to want it easier. I don't know anybody who has a MacBook that has a fingerprint reader that does not use it. It says, oh, no, I, I, I refuse to use that because why would I just use my finger when I can type my password? And I love typing my password. <laughs> Nobody says that, right? So so I do like the, the whole term. And I think we're all saying the same thing about getting them to make the choice. And it goes back to the word that Karen said, choice, right? Choice and transparency, because the buy-in piece is giving them the transparency that they need to understand, right, how this is personally going to impact them. Because for decades, right? IT and security have just come down like a hammer. You will do this. You have to do this. Regulations say we must, right? And so, oh, the password now goes from six characters, so you must do eight characters. Oh, now you must do 12, right? So, and people are like, ah! So, so <laughs> I, I think that aspect of, of transparency can get more buy-in. But back to the other things, right? What's going to happen with the data, the, the bias built into into this the whole biometric system right around skin tones facial features and things of that nature it becomes very problematic because you know as a person of color there are statistics that show it is absolutely less accurate when it's looking at me versus when it's looking at Matt right it's it's a sad fact but it's true so yep. if, if my son were to come up to my screen and it, there was biometrics, 
there's a high likelihood that one of my three boys would actually be able to utilize my biometrics because as most people who know me and have seen my sons, they all look a lot like me. And so when you factor in the bias in biometrics and the lack of accuracy uh, uh, for based on skin tone, so how do we, cont- what do we do? And, and that's egregious, but let's also not like, like open up biometrics um, and, and, and let's make sure we're talking about facial recognition here. Right. Because, yeah. yeah, once you get into fingerprints or gait or voice and things, then you remove a lot of that bias. And, and I think that we're all so fast on the facial recognition, which, you know, personally, I don't like because I feel like that ends up being exploited in a way that other biometrics don't um, and has built in faults and false positives and false negatives. And mm-hmm. it's as much, much the risk of your son getting into your computer, Larry, as you getting locked out of your computer, which would, you know, be equally disastrous. So, um, yeah, the whole facial recognition, I think, is the one thing everyone grabs onto. And yet there's so many other um, opportunities there. And, and, and Matt, you and I were talking briefly about the security thing. You don't want to rely on one um, characteristic, do you, anyway, because that sounds right. really risky. Yeah. I mean, and look, at the end of the day, anybody who says there's not an inherent problem with facial recognition when it comes to skin tone, skin color, um, and a lot of facial features, uh, especially the darker the skin gets, uh, it, you'd be blind not to know that that's been a problem. So Karen, to your point, there are a lot of other options out there. Facial recognition, fortunately or unfortunately, is the easiest Mm -hmm. today in modern climate because everybody in a work setting has got a camera. I mean, we've had to in the last year and a half basically outfit everybody with good cameras. Laptops have cameras. Desktops have, you know, these external cameras that they come with these days. Fingerprint readers a little harder to deal with, but, you know, you can plug, get one with a USB. They're pretty cheap. But, you know, again, it's that choice. And I, and I love one of the things that's coming out of this, that every CISO, every CIO, everybody who's thinking about doing some form of biometrics needs to really get in their head it's choice, but frictionless transparency to me is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Being able to explain to the, the employees of your organization the why, yep. the how, the what, and make sure it's ongoing. And I'll, I'll give you an interesting, just stupid example. You know, everybody that I talk to that doesn't really understand, we're just going to start with facial recognition because it's a big one, thinks that that camera for facial recognitions recording me. It will know what color my shirt is and it, did I comb my hair that day and have I done X, Y, and Z? And you go, well, that's actually not the way it works. It's plot points on your face. It's, you know, skin tone, it's depth. It's, you know, looking at your eyes. So why would you not potentially show them on the screen what the system actually sees? Again, transparency. Mm-hmm. And then again, right, just show. It doesn't actually see, for most people, if you look at facial recognition algorithms and what it's seeing, I would not tell that it's Mitch. Would have no clue that it's Mitch, right? right? I, I, I don't... We are, a trapezoid right, isn't Mitch, right? That's, that's right. <laughs> I'm like um, seeing posters around the office of like a facial, a digital, you know, facial print to people recognize. Yeah, I, I think that would be that's very a great idea. Um, oh. showing because it, it does not look like a person. 
I think can you really is, be assuring? Yeah. I think so. this is just like we were talking about giving people choice and options for voting is for some people, that's going to mean a lot. They're going to go, I know how I understand it. So I, I, I'm accepting it better. I trust it. I think there's also a large population. And, and one of the things we're getting benefit from is this is becoming our security device for work and home. So if, if that's the device, you already do this today. So the frictionless idea, which I've used that term a lot too, it's actually frictionless because you already do it. You already type in codes that come over text. You might even use an authenticator app. You might use Google that tells you, hey, you're trying to log in from the device. Is that okay? Or whatever. You don't know it's an authenticator app. People are already starting to do this. They already use facial recognition or the, the thumb print like you talked about, Larry. So I think if if in the work environment, we're, we're asking them to do the same things they already do. And even better, if it's not our system, our device, but it's something you already use or familiar with, that even gives another layer of independence from, yeah. it's not I, us, you know, you use LastPass at home, you know, whatever. I do think it's funny real quick, Larry, I have to say, so let me get this straight. I don't want to use biometrics for work, but I'm willing to use an authenticator app on my phone. So what's going to happen is I'm going to try to get on the web that, you know, that particular app, it's going to send something to my phone, which I have to use biometrics to unlock, <laughs> to get to the authenticator app, to then click back over. And again, that's why I think, and Larry, I interrupted you, but that's why I think it's that the trifecta triangle I love adding in communications, ongoing communications, transparency of what you're doing, what you're seeing, and giving people that sense of control. We've all talked about it. I think you know, we've done a lot of these CISO talks. And one of the things we've talked in the past is when dealing with business from a cybersecurity perspective, we talked about the Olympic method, giving people choices. Here's a gold, here's a silver, here's a bronze choice. By doing that, it breaks what Larry was talking about, which is we come down like a hammer. Thou shalt is old. That's the legacy way of doing it, giving choices and doing that again when it comes to the options around biometrics, I think is very powerful. Larry, yeah. I interrupted you. Yeah, no, and it is. And this is, and I, I love it, but you have this, this group of people in corporate America that don't want to mix business and personal. So they say, no, no, this is this is my phone. You're not you're, you're not put, I'm not doing anything with work associated with work on my phone. This is my phone. Right. And so you also have that. And, and people get real sensitive about I literally I was CTO of a tech company, 150 people. And literally they were giving phones to every person because people did not want to put authenticated devices on their personal phones. And I'm like, are you, is, is this 1995? What are we doing here? Right. Sure, and maybe he has worked for the workers council. That sounds exactly like a conversation with the workers council. It really does. Yeah. It's, I, I just, the, I just want to get back to this concept of transparency that Michelle's raised and, and this kind of frictionless experience as well that we've been talking about. Um, because there, there is no transparency once you get to that point where if you're going to link my initial action to a whole bunch of other actions, I no longer really have any idea where things are going. So the ability to try and explain that as well. And what if I say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to use this to get 
get into my computer, but not to get into Workday because I don't know where that's going. Are the Workday people taking my my face now? And and okay, I'm okay with Workday, but not with um w- with the healthcare provider because I don't know what's going on over there. So how, I mean, how do you start managing that? Single sign-on. I mean, there are options here by setting up a single sign-on that you control, right? You're now not passing biometrics to all these apps because you're right. Just tokens. Literally, you're capturing that. That's the initial authentication thing. And then you're passing a token. And then you can use, you can have them re-authenticate every X amount of time if you so want, right? To just verify that that's still them logged into the device. But that, that, digital image never passes to anyone right that's all that on the that's the transparency exactly. right? Right. like making sure people know that like i i knew that as soon as she was i'm like right. it's a single sign it's one thing you know right. but but making people understand that that piece right. of it and i think the other thing is something karen and i as in our roles are so familiar with that you know what we have done our entire careers is persuade people because we don't have the authority to come down on them like a hammer that Sometimes the CIO and the CISO do. And so I think the CISO and the CIO taking in some of that learning of persuasion and, and really what that means is being thoughtful about your audience. You know, some of your audience are going to be persuaded by the frictionless piece. I mean, that, that would be a huge swath. Some of them are going to be persuaded if you tell them how secure this will make the company and how much better our products will be and et cetera, et cetera. They're going to be like, yes, I am so 100% company. I want to do this. And, and some of them are going to be you know, persuaded by personal gain. Like, well, I don't want my company to go under from a breach. you know. So, I will. so you got to really think about telling the story in a way that will resonate with all the, these different audiences that you have in one employee base. Um, and that's where I do think, you know, partnering with your ethics folks can be really helpful. <laughs> Which is why we're we're together like this. And I, I agree, you know, my old school mindset back in the day, and Larry and I've known each other hard to believe over 20 years, yeah. um, you know, back in the day was we did not work with people like you, right? Karen, Michelle, we didn't work with, wait a minute, the compliance and ethics people, whoa, 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 keep them at arm's length. And what you just said, I agree with, and how we all work together is how I think we can move these things forward um, and and change the perception. I think the other problem that I really wanted to, to get your all's opinion on is we're talking within that corporate construct. How do you battle public perception? Because most of the negativity around biometrics um, is from outside of a company's control. You're not hearing a lot of negative, even some of the the problems with skin tone, color, depth, that that conversation we were having a minute ago, you're hearing about it at, at the government level, at the state level, at the nation level. And the perception around the ethics of biometrics is, I think, pretty low. Um, and there's, there's a weird dichotomy here because people use it, but they don't trust it because of what I'm they just, say. I, I'm just only thinking about Facebook's recent decision to get out of biometrics. They're they're going to delete a billion photos. Um, you know, they built the business on the back of tagging, um, and they're going to turn their backs on it. Um, so I think that we're starting to have a a non-governmental conversation about the ethics of of biometrics. Um, and then, you know, we looked the other day at the the Amazon drivers example where Amazon mm-hmm. said we need cameras and they're like, no, why quit? 
forget it. I'm not going to be giving you my image on a, on a constant basis. But but I think I that's that your choice. trust example. That's your trust topic again, right? right? You Facebook has lost trust for other reasons too. You know that we know that they have, how they rank but, likes and all of the different stuff. But yeah, now we don't trust them. We don't right, trust. But them you got to say if they're if they're not trusting themselves now, then how do we trust biometrics? When Facebook yeah. says, "Ooh, you know, we're we're going to actually forego um, a, a core part of our original business um, because we don't think we think it's out of control and and we think that I mean they're. All right, they're advocating for a lot of, of regulation, right? Because that's a competitive advantage for them. Let's not be, um, right. you know, shy about saying that. Um, but they're saying, hey, you know, until this field is regulated in some way, we don't think that we can be trusted to um, handle things responsibly, and neither should anybody else. And you see, mm-hmm. also, you know, yeah, Google and others getting out of that um, business as well, and not selling images to um, law enforcement officials. Um, and, then, and then you've got clear, life. clear view on. The other, on the other side of the equation, who's very happy to grab photos wherever they're um, available. So I don't, I don't know the answer. We've got Biometrics Institute, which is trying to um, implement some sort of framework around biometrics. Although, interestingly, you have to become a member. You actually have to pay in order to get their studies and their information and, and, and understand how to implement this, which I, I find, um, I, I understand they're not, you know, they have to fund, but, um, but their basic framework is out there. How do you get people to buy into that and become members? How do regulators do it? We've got one state, or I think two, is it Illinois and Washington now, who have really strictly regulated biometrics and use of biometrics, but not the rest of them, and, and the EU thinking and talking about it. Um, and then, as as we all know really, really well, the ability of of legislators to keep up with the emerging tech is is almost non-existent. So they'll, they'll get something way too late at, at the point at which it's all out of the bag and out of control and trains left the station. So, um, I, you know, I, I'm interested in everyone's thoughts in that sphere. How do we create a framework for biometrics where people's trust uh, does elevate? But, you know, I'll throw in while you're while people are thinking about how they'd want to answer that question, you know, a lot of times when companies are are foregoing, you know, it, it's to what you were saying is what Mitch was saying. People lost trust because they got caught. And right. I'm not going to name companies. They got caught doing something they should not do um, or they had a leak and data is now out there and they've lost trust. So they can either spend the time and money to try to rebuild trust when they already have a pretty low trust rating or they can do what a lot of companies have done and said, we're not doing biometrics. But a lot of them aren't saying they're not doing biometrics for their own you know, authentication, but they're not doing it to the world. They're not doing consumerization of it. Then Amazon's a great example because that goes back to part of that trifecta of choice. They're implementing a capability for their trucks to make sure people are who are supposed to be driving those trucks are driving those trucks. And if you don't want to do that, you have a choice. You don't have to work there. And, and I know that's a bit of a, a stretch on the, uh, the choice thing, but it is a choice. It is a choice. No, that's a choice. Right? And I, I take it one further to say, I would love it if you would give them a choice on what biometrics or what self-authentication you could use, but not everybody can do that. Yeah. But, but so I go back to similar to along the lines of what you said, Matt, is that if you think about why some of these big companies are doing it, they were nefarious in their use of the data on the back end that they were capturing. Yep. It's 100%. not that they weren't, they were captured. It's not that they were 
um, uh, capturing it for the wrong reasons, or, or, or right, or they were capturing it in a way that was that was improper. No, they were then capturing it and using it for their own personal gain without being transparent. Right. So we get back to that transparency piece again. Had Facebook from the beginning said, "Oh, when we capture these images, we're going to use them for this," I guarantee most people would have opted out of it. Right. Like, oh no, you you're going to sell it and you're going to use it for no 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 no. I'm out. Right. Although interestingly, Larry, um, the the Facebook as it was growing, the reason it grew so fast um, is because they were tagging your image in somebody else's photo and letting you know, hey, there's a photo of you that got tagged online, and they got people to sign up to say, oh, cool, there are pictures of me. So it wasn't even that transparency and oh, you might be selling my images so much as other people are providing you with my image, and I'm psyched about it. I'm not right. objecting. I'm actually going to join Facebook and create an account so I can see those fun pictures of me that people took. And oh, we yeah. know people, Facebook is the example like of the worst case scenario because now nobody trusts anything about them, right? I mean, right. I don't have a Facebook account happened for a couple of years now, but many people feel the same way. I mean, it, so there, there's a threshold of people will forgive, you know, data breaches and ignore some of those things, but at some point it's going to cross over this chasm of, I don't trust any of it. So I'm not going to let the insurance company put the monitor in my car so they can raise my rates when I speed. Oh, sorry. I'm not going to do that. Oh, I don't speed by the way, but anyway. Oh, but they're going to yeah. reduce your rates, Mitch, for, for right. not speeding. Yeah. I'll so. wait for that to happen. <laughs> but I'm going to put on my 16 year old's car. Cause I want to know. <laughs> well, now that's different. That's right. different right? But go, go back to, um, to Larry's um, point as well. I think, you know, on data use and transparency, this is something you know, like we're talking, we've been talking a lot about like, how do we bring employees along on this, this journey? But I think this really highlights, it's so important that the CISO and the CIO, that they really think through this. It, it can't just be like, oh, here's a cool new gadget. Let's roll it out. Because right. then what happens invariably, and this happens every time you get a nice big data set and someone thinks, oh, let's throw that in a data lake. What else could we do oh, with that? Yes. What else? Oh, we could do this and we could do that. And, <laughs> and, and so much of it is good intentions. I want to be clear. Like, Right. So much of it is really good intentioned. But if people don't know that that's a possibility and controlling your stakeholders so they know you aren't going to, here's what we're going to do with this, yeah. period. Does anybody else have any ideas? Because you have, if you have an idea, tell me now so I can tell people right now and I'm collecting that information that I might do this with it. I want to hear how Matt has that conversation with himself, by the way, the CIO. And the <laughs> I do. It's, it's very awkward in my office when I'm yelling at myself. Um, and then I got to yell at myself about how to secure it. But, I, you know, I just think we should give fishing licenses for people who want data out of the data lake. You want, you want, a, you want mm. the data, you need a license. But, yeah, and you, you've got to be able to, to it be, we don't like the word fishing. I mean, just saying we're not going to fish ourselves, but um, for being able to. <laughs> Same reaction. I'm like, wait, how are you <laughs> Well, because it's a lake and it's got information swimming in it. And we're telling people you can't catch that fish. It just it's shows you the mindset. That's how, that's how, I that we that's how I'm envisioning. Like, we went to like, P-H-I-S-H, not F-I-S-H. Right. I'm, I'm talking about swimmy fish. That, that's yeah, my swimmy. visualization of data in a data lake. And, and people are going in and, and just grabbing it out even because um, it's there. How can you say you can't use it? It's now it's there. Right. So, it is. 
No, it and, is. But that goes to your policies behind it. That goes to the assurances that you're following your policies, that yep. you have transparency of your policies out to your employees or associates, and that you have someone auditing your adherence to those policies to make sure that there are not individuals, groups, or people within your corporation that may potentially be breaking the rules knowingly or unknowingly. Well, and being able to segregate and tag, because I mean, we are talking about biometrics now, right? Not just the general um, personal data that's in that lake. And biometrics should always be by definition, sensitive information that should not be freely swimming in the lake. Um, <laughs> Mine's drowning in the lake. That's a different topic. But you know, Karen, you, you and I have talked about this and you, you have a really interesting way to approach the regulation of this, the difference, and you were just touching on it, but really just to hit it, you know, we have a national regulations that, that are coming out um, and that could be national country based or theater based regulations um, or collection of countries like the EU. You have an industry regulation of what different industry verticals may be doing because we're talking social media here, which I think is really top of a lot of people's mind, but it could go into manufacturing. It could go into retail. You know, 100%. there was a Right. There was a time when people were talking about you could go pay with your thumbprint. I don't know if everybody remembers that back in the day, but, you know, the joke was I could pay for my dry cleaning with my thumbprint and never have to pull my wallet out. And that never went anywhere. Then you have the corporate regulations, what we do inside the company with our own employees and self-regulation. And how do we think through all of the implications is and especially if you have to do self-regulation, corporate regulation in an industry that has regulations That's right. and you're an international company. That's right. And we, we often miss the opportunity of having some sort of a, a global, a, a WTO type of um, yeah. oversight instead, because what you're then navigating as we are in the privacy world and, you know, as Michelle and I struggle with every day are these competing regulations that look the same, but they're not the same. And what do you do? How do you do the same thing different ways? Um, and, and so I, I'm kind of hoping here that there's, there's going to be some bigger movement driven by some of the tech companies that are dealing so much with the um, with with this and and companies like Unisys, which are developing emerging technologies that are incorporating biometrics, that we're the ones that are driving this conversation and, and thinking about it and creating expectations that then will get embodied into national or regional um, legislation. But but there isn't an easy answer. And, and as with all of our emerging tech, it's moving so fast that the ability to create this, this platform or this framework is severely compromised. Um, and then there's a lot of self-interest as well. I, I'm a huge... Um, I'm, I'm really in big in favor of industry um, self-regulation because I feel like industries then police each other. Um, the, the component parts, you don't want anybody to have a competitive advantage. But what's the industry for biometrics? It's just, it's, it's out of control. It's all over. It's already out there. Um, it's been around forever too. I, I, you know, thinking of biometrics as something new, I think also misplaces biometrics and their big populations, which by the way, has to be taken into consideration when we talk about the buy-in from employees. There are populations that have been burned historically um, as a result of biometrics and just the whole field of eugenics, um, it kind of makes my skin crawl. So um, you've, we've got to be 
I don't know, actually. I, I, don't, I don't know where I'm going with any of that, except driving myself crazy. Let's do this. Uh, we're, we're, we're short on time. We could do three more episodes of this. You know, one of the things, Matt, you always talk about, we try to give folks a takeaway, something that you can take yeah. away from this conversation. I don't know about you all. I always take something away from our conversations, too. Maybe why don't we do that as our closing thought? Each one of us share what's something we're taking away. I mean, one of the things, obviously, I've never seen Karen so animated about our topic. So now I know. <laughs> OK, now that's that's the thing to bring up at the cocktail party. So anyway, um, Larry, do you wanna, when we're, when we're yeah. having a, a drink or dinner one night, she, Karen's real quiet, I'll go. Biometric. Biometric. <laughs> Larry, do you want to start with a with a closing? What a takeaway is for you? Um, you know, so honestly, I, I actually took notes, and I don't think I've ever taken notes in a in a conversation <laughs> like this before in my life, right? But um, I, I think what Karen opened up with, right, with a trust, choice, consent, right, transparency, control, like I think those are things that organizations have to start working better towards, right? If, if they start doing that and then things like biometrics become a non-issue because the reality is biometrics is one of many, many things that we do uh, in the technology industry to impact our end users. And we've always done it behind this cloak and dagger and we use regulations and we use all sorts of things to say why we have to do it. And uh, But we transparency is not something that we're really, really good at. Right. And so I think I think getting down that path to create that trust and, and that choice and that consent from the end users, that transparency piece could go a long way. So I, I really enjoyed the conversation. today. Excellent. Hey, Michelle, love to hear your thoughts. I'm going to build off of that. And what, what was coming into my mind as you're talking, Larry, is, is the phrase go slow to go fast. And I think so often we rush in because it's the latest gadget, it's the latest cool thing, and let's just get it out there. But I think what you're hearing all of us saying is you really do have to put that thought in up front. Go slow so that you can go fast and you'll get more buy-in, I think, from, from your employees and you'll achieve that security measures that, that you really want and the reason behind your you're using the biometrics. Karen. I don't know. I'm still coming down off my soapbox. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that this is an area that is fraught with complexity, and um, we just must not make the error of treating biometric data in the same way that we think about the broader issue of personal data. I think it's got, it's got real pitfalls. Um, I think that it's got tremendous opportunity. Um, and being thoughtful about it and treating it in a different manner um, and 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 in a in a different mind frame is got to be the starting point for for the, those of us who are responsible for its use. Bring it home, Matt. So look, as always, I love these conversations. You know, my closing thing to anybody listening or watching this would be communication. You have to communicate. You have to communicate. You have to be transparent and you have to be really thoughtful. I also love the idea of giving your employees a choice. Choice is a big deal. If you can give people, hey, if you're not comfortable with doing biometrics and registering your face, your thumbprint, your voice with us, cool. No harm, no foul. You want to use the authenticator app? Wonderful. You want to do, you know, whatever those choices are. 
I think that's very powerful in being able to move forward or move down this path. Um, communication, I think, is is huge, but it's also the conversation. You know, a lot of times in these kinds of video podcasts, what you will see is just people like Larry, Mitch, and I talking about this. The classic CISO CIO, it's this is what's out there. This is how you implement it. This is the benefit you'll get. But we wanted to bring in that privacy and ethics, and you should be doing the exact same thing so that you don't end up on the wrong side of a council in some other country that you may be doing business in, or you don't end up on the other side of an internal audit that is not going well because you have a data lake with data and you're using it for the wrong reasons, or worst case scenario, you don't end up in the press. These things are very, very important because it's a touchy subject. And finally, you know, if I wrapped all that together, it's giving your employees their ability to make a decision. And you can do that if you communicate and you're transparent. Mitch, I'll let you close it out today. But as always, to everybody watching and listening, we really appreciate your time. And, and I, I love this panel. The three of you are amazing. Um, I, I, I don't feel like I have to do a lot of talking because uh, it got well animated uh, today <laughs> on this topic. So you're saying we're opinionated. That's what I'm hearing. Uh, just a little. And I love that. We should be <laughs> opinionated and passionate, right? It's pa this yeah. is a very important topic. Yeah, the other way of saying it is free with your thoughts. <laughs> I'm just going to add one more word. That's grateful. Appreciate everything. We're so grateful to all of you. Thank you to our audience as well. We're grateful for you joining us today. Thanks for being with us for another CISO Talk. Look forward to having you back again. Thank you, panel. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>